0: Welcome to this third season of No Show. Tell No Show is an ongoing series of radio programs, in which we ask an artist to present to us a piece of art that has had an impact on them and or their practice. In the next 30 minutes, you will have the pleasure of listening to artist Yuno Kim, who by memory will introduce us to a performance only experienced once and quite some time ago by the American artist, filmmaker and choreographer Yvonne Reiner under the title, Again, What Now? And this episode is therefore an exercise both in memory and an attempt to transform a durational physical experience into a coherent piece of language. Via shifts in texts, in mediums, in career paths, and in ways to love, Yuno takes us through the importance of good teachers, privilege, ice skating, coming out late in life, as well as the unfortunate piece of music, Boleo. Yuno Kim is an artist, filmmaker, and feminist theologist. She sometimes works with games, and she is also the study leader at the BFA at the Academy of Fine Arts in Copenhagen. Tell No Show has been produced and edited by Jan Hustræger from The Lake Radio and me, Andreas Fure from Institut von Bage. Left for me to do is only to pass the microphone on to Juno Kim.
1: How oh, I am, sorry. My name is Juno Kim. I'm an artist based in Copenhagen now, and I work at the academy as the study leader of the BFA since uh, two years ago. As an artist, I work with uh, animated films and uh, computer games. That's one part of my practice that I make in collaboration with another artist. And then in my solo work, I work with uh, performance and drawing and costumes. And sometimes uh, with, yeah, voice or radio. In the beginning of 1901,
2: Guglielmo Marconi was the first person to send a
1: message across the Atlantic Ocean. Instead of his radio sending speech or music, there were buzzing sounds that were spotted as Morse code. And I've chosen to talk about Yvonne Reiner's piece that she did with Weld Company in Stockholm called Again, What Now? which was performed in 2019. And so she worked on it 2018-2019. And I'm going to specifically talk about the performance she did at Malma Konstal on uh, February, I think it was 14th, 2019. I thought it could be a meaningful exercise to pose a double challenge for myself. Um, When I got your invitation to describe a work of another artist, I thought about how the challenge of describing a time-based performance work, which in its nature is ephemeral, and uh, I was drawn to that ephemerality, and that it doesn't have a lasting fixed image because the photographs or documentation, it's changing, and it's only a snippet of the work. And so therefore it's like a trace of an original work and I I thought that kind of archival process could be interesting for myself.
0: There's an insect that we call the mayfly. And this has an ephemeral life that lasts only a few hours normally.
1: And then I also wanted to ruminate or meditate with a performance work that mainly uses bodies. So it's a dance work and not a performance work with a lot of objects or costumes or installation, the challenge of describing bodies and to describe that dancing performing body instead of the work itself. And hopefully like it could make me think further about the economy of being seen and the economy of being described. And so trying to describe a dance piece and the levels of translation required in that to now come into this our form, I thought it was uh, yeah, somehow uh, meaningful in a kind of an emotional register for me because I'm going to narrativize my having been the spectator and through the linearity of describing, I'm going to translate a personal experience of this work that I got to see at a particular time in my life and to try and make a some kind of coherent sense and not just have it be a, a memory inside the body of having experienced this work so yeah, that was kind of some of the reasons why I chose this I'm uh, working on a performance piece called Movements That Matter and it It's a performance manuscript about coming out later in life as a middle-aged person, which for me was meaningful because a lot of coming out is kind of with coming of age or younger person's narrative. And I was interested to try and tell it as an older person and as an older body also. And in that, there is a chapter on art education. And in that art education chapter, I, I write about um, art teachers that have been important for me as well as artists that are this kind of persons that one returns to over and over again, in which Yvonne Rainer is one uh, for me.
2: I never wanted to be famous. A very intent 100 people is all I need to keep going. And I feel it's just uh, serendipitous. People in Europe know
1: of me and, you know, invite me. So She's a American choreograph and filmmaker who was active in the 1960s. She works first as a dancer, actually. And then from 70s and 80s and 90s, she leaves dance and works with film and then returns to choreography 30 years later in early 2000 at the invitation of uh, a Russian ballet dancer, Mikhail Baryshnikov. And since 2000, Reina has been working with performance and dance. And um, she has a collaborator, Pat Katerson, who is another dancer and choreographer that they've been working together for, I think, over 30 years who is the main dancer working with Rainer and one of the main um, muscle memory, or someone who um, can transmit uh, her choreographies, Rainer would say, since she retains all the physical memory of Rainer's choreographies from the 1960s. And Pat Catterson herself is born in 1946, and so she was 72 when she came to Stockholm, in 2018 to teach the dancers at Weld Company the preparatory steps before Rainer comes a few weeks later. Again, what now took place at Malmö Konstal in the, one of the large main exhibition hall that's designed by the Swedish architect Klaus Anshelm. The room has three sides of walls where one side of the wall is entirely glass and metal which allows passersby from the outside to look in like quite deep into the main exhibition hall. It's a room that's uh, curious uh, both grand in its vast square meterage with wooden floors and white walls but there is a triangular roof where one side or window, so it has a both uh, light coming in from the above and from the side, which somehow creates a, a sense of, I don't know, intimacy is the right word, because it's very big room, but that's the feeling one gets. On the day of that performance, it was a really sunny or unusually bright day, because it's February and it's Malma. So then there was really nice light that was shining onto the performance space or the stage, which was then three freestanding white walls uh, that demarcated the three sides. And along the edges of the walls, there were metal chairs um, that had a white pillow on top of it, and they were lined alongside the three walls. And then the fourth side, of course, was a small row of bleacher-like seating for the audience. We were allowed into the main exhibition hall 15 minutes before the official start time. And when one walked into a room, there were eight dancers that were already moving. And that created a sense of walking into a rehearsal. It was like a sense of time where something had already begun and we are entering into the middle of it. And there were dancers moving diagonally in space Sometimes all eight in a group, sometimes divided into two groups of four or even smaller pair units. And before they would move, it would start when one of them would call out either a number or a letter. Yeah, what I remember, it's like one, two, seven, nine, ten, or four B, A. And it's difficult to understand the logic of it other than the very simple. Okay there's a specific set of movements that are activated that relate to that number and uh, I later read in a publication from well the numbers and letters are called out randomly by the dancers so that no performance is exactly the same because it's up to the dancer in that moment to call whichever number or letter out which is has a corresponding steps or movement <laughs>
2: We were interested in introducing everyday actions and movements to the formal uh, theatrical space. Yvonne opened up uh, what could possibly be considered a movement in a dance. I mean, I used the word postmodern because uh, we were against or had a polemic relation to uh, Martha Graham, who was a modern dancer.
1: I think number one was uh, walking across uh, the space diagonally and it's quite amazing how just walking when placed on stage can be fascinating to look at and how the different bodies walking across all look very different. And so that kind of magnifying um, this very mundane uh, verb or gesture we take for granted is um, Yeah, when placed in a choreography, it just makes one think differently about it. No to spectacle.
2: No to virtuosity. No to transformations and magic and make-believe. No to the glamour and transcendency of the star image. No to seduction of spectator by the wiles of the performer. No
1: to moving or being moved. I think number two was running, or this kind of sprinting kind of running, which when one does it over and over again, an untrained body would start where the signs would be more visible um, of the effort. Um, But these were very trained bodies, so you don't see the kind of the heaving, you know, breathing in and out because it's quite long, this section, the diagonal intro section, at least like 12 or 12 minutes or longer, and um, which creates then a kind of a a settling into this world, even though there is no world per se in the usual sense of a fiction movie or narrative opera, or but it, it allows the eye and the breathing and the mind of the viewer to enter into a different rhythm, because it's so structured in one way, like in terms of the dancers going across diagonally.
0: Repeating then is in everyone. In everyone, their being and their feeling and their way of realizing everything and everyone comes out of them in repeating. More and more then, everyone comes to be clear to someone. Slowly, everyone in continuous repeating to their minutest variation comes to be
1: clearer to someone. I watched her film, Privilege, in a class actually, when I was doing my Master. It was so, yeah, it was like a seminal movie for me to, as a young person, um, be exposed to. And it's one of those moments where it sounds so cheesy, but it's like, oh, like one can make films like that because it's not uh, following a linear narrative, but it's still, like, made sense. and. um It it dared itself to, like, grapple with extremely polarizing issues without it being, like, moralistic. So, Yvonne, what am I here for? I thought I told you. I'm doing a documentary about menopause. Menopause, not that again. I thought you were going to interview me about my brilliant career. And so I was drawn to even though there were dogmatic aspects of it, I was drawn to this kind of ambition she had. And then later to then in the course be uh, contextualized that, oh, she's she actually comes from dance. Because then, oh, it's someone who studies something else, but dares to go into a totally different field a bit later in their life. And it's something about this kind of um, unexpected beginnings or persons who radically change something like a medium or take a break from what they usually do I thought that kind of break yeah as a young person was incredibly important to understand that that can be done let's face it Yvonne we live in a sexist culture that considers women old at an earlier age than men that energy I would like to keep it very close to me because I think it's extremely useful, both uh, when I'm teaching, but also, yeah, working. Yeah, because it's just an amazing role model of uh, how a practice can develop. And then there was, at some point, I think maybe, I don't know, 10, 12 minutes into it, a sudden shift which comes with a voiceover, and it's an American-English voice. And I didn't know at the time who it was, but it I think it is Yvonne Rayner's voiceover.
0: The fossil of an ancient hedgehog just two inches long, no bigger than a shrew, was discovered in British Columbia.
1: I don't remember exactly the content, but it was something about a hedgehog finding a fossil of a hedgehog in Canada. And how that kind of geological finding in deep history could help us understand uh, some of the climate change issues. That's the base, roughly what I remember. But I don't, I didn't really understand at the time listening to it, like how that could help. um, And I still don't know. But the hedgehog image was very clear.
0: The animal, named Silvicola acars, lived 52 million years ago
1: during the early Eocene epoch. In my text, I just use uh, shift as like a new section. So this is kind of uh, one of the first shifts that happen in the piece. And every shift comes sonically, I think. So there will be a change in music and voice, another voiceover at the end. So in that way, it was. Uh, clear structure that, for me, signals a kind of a collage-like process where it's not this kind of smooth transition or a narrative transition, but it's quite abrupt.
0: The narrative is so fragmented and so undercut by so many other things that you can't follow it as a narrative. You have to do something with these narrative pieces that put them together in some other way.
1: You just tear off one um, set of exercises or movement and then c- there comes another right after. And that, that was actually quite impactful in retrospect. Uh, at the time, like it, it forced me to try and move away from narr- linear narrativity. I don't exactly know how big that stage space was. At the edge, like, placed near the walls were folding chairs with white pillows on it. And then there was uh, specific lighting also that would turn on and off, but very minimal. And then on the fourth side were this kind of bleachers, like a staircase type of structure where the audience could sit. And then on the floor, I can't remember exactly, but it was also... Not the usual wooden floor, I think, but it was a dance floor but I could be making that up.
2: Uh, it makes me think about the whole question of or issue of the uh, the dancers medium you know being people and how it very much becomes not just an aesthetic kind of um, preoccupation but extremely social and uh, therefore subject to uh, all kinds of pressures that uh, I imagine people in other arts aren't subject to, like, just the
1: human response of the people you work with. Um, I'm interested in ephemeral works that resist in some way being commodified or that can be easily reproduced or consumed. Yeah, so that's why I'm interested in performance works. And then, yeah, there is something incredibly. Like there's nothing more interesting than a human body. Oh, sorry, my watch. (laughs) In all its complexities and problems and ethics and morality, all this just comes up with a human body, whether it is painted, drawn, photographed, used in a performance. Well, I mean, if you say ephemera, it's usually then in visual art something like poster or flyer that is kind of uh, not meant to be, conserved or restored or it's like very on the margins Um, so that's an ephemera (laughs) and then ephemeral yeah it doesn't exist in its full form separated from time space place context bodies that are performing it or doing it and so in that way ephemeral works it, it, it resists a certain kind of archival or a certain kind of, as a commodity. And to pass that on also, it's difficult. It, it can be scored, it can be written down, but the best would be, and Yvonne Reynard says this too, is to transmit it or to show it because there are some bodies that have that archival knowledge in the body. And that, I think, is... An interesting challenge to work with, and something about the proximity to it just vanishing is uh, extremely um, attractive for me. So then shift, and then there were eight bodies that were standing tangled together, and each body was pushing inwards against each other while trying to resist being pushed. So it was a kind of a paradoxical thing where I'm going to try and push you, but resist being pushed back. So there was this kind of a special kind of squirming that was happening. And in that way, it should be static, but they were slowly moving across again, kind of diagonally. So I think diagonal is an important line in the piece. And then shift again. Again, bodies moving through space, um, pushing, pulling, huddling and lifting each other. And in that way, they were specifically navigating the space because it seemed quite specific where a certain body will be dropped off. Like, for example, four dancers lifted another dancer who looked like they were a flying airplane or bird and then would place the lifted body down and drop it off somewhere. But what was interesting was that somehow there was a casualness to everything. And the casualness was most felt when some of the dancers would stand off on the side, not moving. And that not moving was also very deliberate. And so then how to be casual without like overly like kind of pantomime like of casual and so that was something that i noticed and the casual what is that really when you're performing i mean what does time mean in dance
2: well for me very often it has been the time it takes to do something very often it brought a task like orientation to movement like not impose any other consideration on the time it takes me to get down to the floor and up again except a kind of natural time. And I have not imposed, uh, you know,
1: a musical or, or uh, an artificial sense of time on, on, on my work. And then there's shift again. And then there was an aria that was being sung by a male voice. I don't know what the song, I don't know the title of it. But it was kind of an operatic style, so it was an aria. And then there's a shift because then there are other texts that come like with whether no, it's not voiceover. there are other texts that dancers say, like YouTube, uh, wow and Twitter
2: <laughs>
1: something like yawn or yes, no, like these oppositions, which they would uh, shout it out or exc- exclamation yes. kind of text and then would move after like according to that. But it's uh, extremely funny. Yes. I was uh, trying to write about it and it's really hard to describe something or explain why it's funny because it's not a joke, but the whole performance was very humorous. Cool that is also extremely unique in terms of dance i guess or working with bodies and perhaps if i if i'm pushed to try and find a, a reason um it's the it's in the some of the slapstick like movements and then also the way in which these words like uh, were being uttered like youtube and knowing and that there was a great sense of humor in it and that lightness, the levity, I think it, it, it's really uh, a big part of uh, of Reyna's work. Wow. And then again, Shift. And then the piece I do recognize is Bolero by Ravel. Came from Nottingham, England. Their names were Jane Torval and Christopher Dean. And when they took to the ice for their final performance in the 1984 Olympic Games in Sarajevo, the world was expecting something sensational. It's such an unfortunate but a great piece of music because in that moment I was thinking about the British um, ice skating duo Torville and Dean. They were like Olympic champions in 1984 or in the 80s, I think. I was uh, a young person living in London and watching their routine which was so... uh, It was televised like millions of times. And so every time I hear Bolero, like their movement comes in because they're this like ice dancers. Um, And so in a way it was like kind of overlapping with what what I was watching in space.
0: Really a beautiful performance
2: that was perhaps not difficult, perhaps no changes, perhaps nothing you can criticise it from here to
1: zero. And then there's another shift. Another chapter or kind of torn tableau or page I remember is the section where there is a Tina Turner song, but I don't know which one exactly because I'm not so good at titles of pop songs. Yeah, it sticks out in my memory because it's quite energetic, choreographed movement. And because it uses a chair, um, there are different kinds of uh, what one can do with a chair. And not just sitting on it, but using it to prop up one's leg or to lean back with a shoulder, which suggests a different kind of feeling or emotion. Is it more seductive? Is it comic?
2: Will all menstruating women please leave the theater?
1: And it's also quite... Aerobic because it was so energetic. That that part of the choreography where the dancers were more kind of having a thrashing kind of movement, but it was also a bit comic in this sense of one has seen those movements how a body interacts with a chair and a pillow in a film possibly or in a slapstick kind of way.
2: Be-de-de-de-de-de-de-de,
1: It made an impact in terms of just a very simple props and what can be done with it and how all the dancers looked very different doing the same, which also then is a break from this kind of synchronizing or synchronicity that one would judge to be... um, a standard in dance.
2: People who do, uh, who have gotten through the idea of beauty, you know, in the other arts or, or some kind of aesthetic ideal quality, they still bring to dancing an expectation of grace and harmony. You know, when all the other arts have explored disorder and, and alienation and what have you, you know, all these years, uh, uh, dancing is still expected to ascribe to that standard.
1: And my eyes kept on oscillating between this one dancer that had the long dark hair and then another dancer that clearly looked the most, kind of the oldest in the group of eight. I thought about like why, I mean, it was very difficult to focus on just one body because every body looked so interesting. But I became self-aware of why I'm looking at that person with the dark hair and then this other older person. And what's my fascination with these two? And am I looking at the dark-haired person because she looks Asian and I'm trying to decode her physical features to see if I can tell which uh, country in East Asia she might be originally from. And, And then thinking about why am I doing that? Why do I need to do that? Why am I programmed to do that?
2: You people can watch while I'm scrubbing these floors and I'm scrubbing the floors while you're gawking.
1: And then the final shift is a voiceover, which I don't really uh, know where the text is from, but it's something, it ends, the piece ends with something about um, the era and time of derangement. Um, and then all of a sudden the performance was over because then the dancers walk out behind one of the freestanding walls and then they come back in and it's time for applause. I love existing in front of spectators. (laughs) And it felt abrupt because I just wanted it to go on actually. Like, yeah, so the desire for it to not end and continue because I was already missing some of the movement that I had seen and wanting to see it again and not being able to have a replay or, yeah. So it's sitting left with that. So it's both like very joyous or exuberant at having seen this, very, this performance that was very impactful, but already like not missing it. Yeah, I think it was about maybe 45 minutes. It was less, little less than an hour. Uh, but the sense of time, it, it just went by so quickly. So when it ended, it was as if that 45 to 50 minutes just, yeah, it was like five minutes or so it, one was so engaged and somehow one wasn't fatigued because I didn't want it to end somehow. And also there were so many, there were repetitions of movements, but then in variation and I wanted to see certain movements again because I, and and that's why when it ended, it's like, oh, I was hoping like another variation of it would come back. But then it was the end. And that was uh, also Im- successful, I think, in terms of leaving a viewer, wanting more. Yeah
0: you have the last half an hour had the pleasure of listening to this third season of Thlow Show. And more specifically, Yuno Kim talk about Yvonne Rayner's performance Again What Now? from 2019. We would like to give a very warm thank you to Juno for participating. We would also like to say thank you to B. Kooten Foundation for supporting this series, as well as Staten's Kunstfund, the Danish Arts Council. The Show is, as always, produced and edited by Jan Huistreger from The Lake Radio and by me, Andreas Vuur, from Institut von der Thank you for listening and have a lovely evening.